Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians? We're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're on chapter 9. We're in the middle of the Apostle Paul's work trying to heal a division within the church of Corinth. And the, the particular division that he's working on is whether or not it's right to eat meat sacrificed to idols. But really the division isn't whether or not it's right. The division is whether some people should look down their noses at other people who eat meat sacrificed idols, and those people who eat meat sacrificed idols should look down their noses at those who don't. You remember what Bonhoeffer says in Life Together, every time Christians come together, as soon as they come together, there will arise among them a striving as to which of them is the greatest. And I know you're that way. And I'm very glad I can see it in you so I can preach to it. And those of you that are visitors, I'm making fun of the fact that, yes, I know, it's me too. It's not just you. And so let's look carefully at how Paul is dealing with the Corinthians. And we've just gone through a section where he says, hey, listen, I have as much freedom, in fact, more freedom than any of you, and I'm not using my freedom. My freedom is the freedom of an apostle and that's pretty intense. I'm not using, I, I could have a wife. I could travel with a wife if, if I wanted. Don't all the other apostles have wives? Aren't they married? I'm not using that for Don't I have the right to be supported by you? I'm not using that right. And so he's pulling them along, showing them that he hasn't used the privileges he has as an apostle. All right. And the principle was found in verse 13 where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That's the overarching theme that we will look at particulars of this week. And he's just, it's a riff, you know? Like the lead or the sax in a jazz band. You know, he's going circling, embroidering, you know? He's just going around and around and around and around the theme which is, I will not use my freedom in Christ to harm a brother or sister in Christ. I won't do it. And so, come on, people. How about lowering yourself to live as humbly as I do? How about giving up your precious freedoms, your precious superiority of theological understanding? How about giving up your degrees? How about, how about giving... And so here we jump in as he goes on about, how about for the sake of love and unity in the church, how about we give up something? And here's what he says. I'm going to start with verse 19 this time. Sorry, guys. The Apostle Paul says, and this is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true, beginning with verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. 
I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so the Apostle Paul sums it up by saying, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. And what we see in this section is a number of different categories of what different people are. And he, he shows his willingness to make himself like them. All right. And it's very interesting. The one that begins is the one in verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. Right? Is that what he said? Aha. One little article left out. He doesn't say, to the Jews, I became a Jew, does he? He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. And what this means is that Bob Kapowitz, sitting here today, is not a Jew. He's born a Jew, he's raised a Jew, his family's a Jew. Racially, ethnically, he's a Jew, but he's not a Jew. Because the Apostle Paul was also born a Jew, raised a Jew, studied under Gamaliel. He had every single, he was circumcised on the eighth day. It was every single thing that there was that would mark a man a Jew, he was that. But what he says is, I have now become as a Jew to the Jews. He can't become as a Jew if he's a Jew, right? So what it's saying here is that in Christ there is what? Neither what? Neither Jew nor Greek. And so the Apostle Paul is no longer a Jew. So this means, like for instance with Jiho, he's no longer Asian. But he doesn't like the word Asian. So whatever you aren't, you aren't. <laughs> and all of you who are Asian, you're not Asian. I'm not Caucasian. I'm not an American. Why? Because I'm a Christian. Because I have been crucified. And it's no longer I that lives, but Christ liveth within me. Can you imagine Jesus Christ as an American? That's an awful thought. He may lower himself that much. But boy, that would be a degree that has been unheard of in all history. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? The very things that we take pride in as men and women are the very things that we are done with as Christians because I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives within me. Can you imagine the boundaries of Christ being white people? Can you imagine the boundaries of the church of Jesus Christ being men? Or, if you don't mind me saying it, what is actually true is that the church overwhelmingly is female. And this has always been true. Erasmus at the end of In Praise of Folly, written back at the close of the medieval period, talks about how the church is always overwhelmingly female. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ came to save women and not men? If being born a woman, you were somehow more sanctified. Or being an American, you were Christian. And yet that is what the church has become in America today. 
And the Apostle Paul was born what? He was born one of the chosen people of God. He was a Jew. And yet what he says here is, hey, listen, if I'm working for the salvation of the Jews, I'll become as a Jew. And do you remember what he says in Philippians about the nature of that Jewishness? Uh, the nature of his Pharisee of Pharisees, the nature of studying under Gamaliel, the nature of all of the incredible privileges he'd had growing up among the people of God with every one of the best things the people of God had to give him. He says, I now count it what? Well, Martin Luther would say, Dreck. And since you don't know German, But I won't say the word I want to say because then that would be too good for you. So I'll say I count it nothing. You know, as a farmer would understand nothing, but not a grain farmer. And not a cattleman, a dairyman. Intimate. Every morning, every night, intimate with what Paul says about his Jewishness and his righteousness. So if the Apostle Paul says, I will become as a Jew, what did he mean by that? Well, there are a number of indications in the New Testament what he meant by that. One of the things he meant was that he would have Timothy circumcised. And so what we read is, we read in Acts 16.3, Paul wanted this man, and he's speaking of Timothy, to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, I, I kind of get a kick out of this. If what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians when he said, I had become as a Jew, was that he would have Timothy circumcised, that's the kind of Jewishness I want. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Here's my son, Timothy. I have become as a Jew. Here's my son, Timothy. How are you feeling, Timothy? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't look at you while I'm preaching. You know, we do have fun together as pastors, and we do love each other. All right. So one of the things Paul did was he had Timothy circumcised, and yet if you go to Acts 15 and if you go to the book of Galatians, you find Paul standing absolutely resolute against circumcision. Isn't that interesting? And so what we see, and I think that uh, Charles Hodge gets this absolutely right when he says about this, he says about Paul, no one was more yielding in matters of indifference, no one was more unyielding in matters of principle. And so if certain men, to put other Gentile men in bondage in their new churches, their Christian churches, were requiring the Gentiles to be circumcised, and it was a principle, the Apostle Paul was resolute in opposing it. But if it is a way of making yourself as a Jew to the Jews, then you go ahead and what did he do? He kept his vows, he went to the temple, he circumcised Timothy, he observed certain holy days, and you can see this all in scripture that, that Paul's very open-handed, very liberal about being as a Jew 
when it serves to avoid scandalizing those he's ministering to. Do you know what I love? There's certain things I love. Actually, there's certain people I love. Do you know one of the people I love? She is deep into Alzheimer's now. And her name is Elizabeth Elliot. I love that woman. Why do I love her? Well, I love her because she's so, she's so, she's so educated. Not. I love her because her vocabulary is so, so large. Not. The reason I love Elizabeth Elliot is that Elizabeth Elliot was the first evangelical in this country to say that we, as the people of God, should be at least as concerned about the Christian Palestinians as we are about the pagan Jews in our Mideast policy. You know how popular that was? It's still not popular. Here's an idea. If Palestinians, many of them are Christians, and if you cannot be a Jew like Bob and go to Israel and be a citizen, did you know that? Did you know the right of return is to all Jews except Christian Jews? Did you know that? You never knew that. Do you know Bob can't go and have the right of return? Because he's defied his Jewishness. That's one point where the Apostle Paul and the foreign policy of Israel are the same. (laughs) He's no longer a Jew. And so I love Elizabeth Elliot because she has been a prophetess. Did you hear me? To the shame of us men. She's been a prophetess on the issue of Palestine. She's been a prophetess when it comes to the meaning of manhood and womanhood. Huh. But here's another reason I, I love her. In the book, The Savage, My Kinsman, have any of you ever seen that book? In that book, and I have a copy in my library if you want to see it, you have these delightful pictures of Christians, Aka Indians. It was the tribe that killed her husband. He was martyrs, one of the, uh, the uh, Aqua Five, all right? In that book, when she went to be a missionary to the very tribe that killed her husband, murdered him, all right, in cold blood, we have these delightful pictures of her with all these Aka Indians, uh, the women without any covering on their breasts, the men wearing loincloths, And the beautiful thing is that there's her little daughter, Valerie. And Valerie's running around with a loincloth. And I tell you, there's nothing that so indicates to me Elizabeth Elliot's love for Jesus Christ and for his people. It's that little picture. And it's so obvious that the adults take delight in this little white You can just see her a part of their life, and you can see she's not prissy. And let me tell you, if anybody was raised to be prissy, it was one of the Elliot children. I mean, I'm telling you, you don't know. I do. (laughs) Yikes. I mean, Tom Howard, whale pants and a Mercedes-Benz station wagon. That's her brother. And he's kept the family going in the right direction. All right. Professor of English, any of you know him? Christ the Tiger? All right. He converted to Roman Catholicism. 
And there Elizabeth Elliot is down among the Aka Indians with her little Valerie playing with the other kids. It isn't really a loincloth, it's a pair of shorts. This last week I got an email from my, um, my nephew. Is it my nephew? My nephew's a missionary now, a uh, missionary pilot in the Solomon Islands, I believe. Um, and it was so beautiful. They've only been there a year, and they were saying that one of their children, that he celebrated his birthday wearing a loincloth. And I knew that the gospel lives on. Because again, he's a, he, he's a very proud man like me, and his wife is very proud also. And here they not only have their son wearing a loincloth, but they have him in their missionary letter wearing a loincloth. And you say, well, that's a violation of the commandment of God. And I say, are you sure? Absolutely certain. So in other words, you do really have to become an American. Right? Isn't it sweet that people from the Solomon Islands, when they come to the United States, they become as if they were Americans and they dress up? Never thought of it that way, have you? They lower themselves to be like us. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. So what's the purpose? The purpose is that they're converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they're in heaven. The purpose is their salvation. And then he goes on, to those who are under the law, as under the law. Again, how can he be under the law if he says, as under the law? And so, again, this indicates... He's not really a Jew, and he's not really under the law. And immediately, those of us who have come out of evangelicalism and dispensational evangelicalism say to ourselves, well, we're not out from under the law. We're under the law. And I say, no, we're as under the law. And then we jump forward and we say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. He goes on to say what? To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. See, you got me, didn't you? We actually are under the law of God and under the law of Christ. And so if that's true, excuse me, then why did the Apostle Paul say, as under the law? There is a sense in which we are... The, the Greek word that's used there is... Anomus. Nomus is law, ah, uh, without law. I think the best translation is for those of us that like to watch westerns, I think it would be good to translate it outlaws. The Christian is an outlaw. Because the Christian is no longer under the law, although for the sake of the salvation of those under the law, he will make himself as if he were under the law. Now, in what sense do you consider your life as a life that is as if under the law? In what sense do you comfort yourself by telling yourself, 
we are not under the law, but we are under grace. How is that a comfort to you? How is it a comfort? Do you tell yourself, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace? If you don't tell yourself that, you do not have a biblical understanding of the Christian life. And so again, in what way is it a comfort to us to remind ourselves that we're not under the law, but under grace? One of the ways that's a comfort to us is that the Bible tells us in Romans that the law was added that what? That sin may increase. Have you ever noticed that when you fixate yourself on a particular law that you then give yourself to that sin? Have you ever noticed that? One of the terrible things about being obsessive compulsive is that if you're obsessive compulsive and you look at a law of God, you then give yourself to breaking that law because you're obsessive compulsive. It's in your brain. You can't get away from it. Have you ever noticed that? Have you read the confessions of Augustine? And have you read where he sees, was it a pear tree? It was a pear tree. I, I had to go to our... You weren't very good last week, but this week that was helpful. <laughs> Brandon. And he saw the pear tree laden with fruit, a fruitful pear tree. And the law that you shall not steal drove him to go get pears and to steal them from his neighbor. The law was given that sin may increase. And so seeing that we, if we make ourselves compatible with those under the law, will become as under the law should be a little bit threatening to us because we should see that being under grace is the reason we are now able to keep the law. I mean, you see what's going on here. You see that once again he goes around and around in an issue and he catches one truth here and another truth here. And so he is not under the law, but he is under the law of God, which is the law of Christ. But what's been taken away from him through Jesus Christ is given back to him through Jesus Christ. And so now the law, instead of being this monster burden on us that drives us both to sin and to despair, is now the freedom that we have in Christ to be, live lives that are fruitful. Do you see that? And so he's not a Jew, but he'll be as a Jew. He's not under the law, but he'll be as under the law. Okay? And we move on. And again, see the reason, so that I might win those who are without law. So that I may win the Jews, so I may win those who are without the law. Then he says, to the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. I become all things, so that I might by all means save some. All right, so what is weakness? It's not a trick question. What is weakness? Weakness is HIV positive, right? We all agree that's weakness. It's not a principle, it's weakness. We all agree that hepatitis C is weakness. Everybody, everybody agree with that? Hepatitis C is weakness. So if HIV positive and hepatitis C are weakness, and my brother has hepatitis C, all right, 
how do we make ourselves weak so that some will be saved, so that some weak will be saved? How do we do it? Do we do it by not wanting to hear about somebody having hepatitis C or having HIV? Is that making ourselves weak? You know that the Apostle Paul, if he were here today, would say, I make myself as if I had hepatitis C, as if I was HIV positive. Do we care for those who are HIV positive by monkey see no evil, hear no evil? Is that how we do it? We act as if we don't see their weakness? You know the way we are with people who have lost their husbands? All of a sudden, they're half a person, and therefore we can't acknowledge their existence. Or single mothers? The one thing that is their weakness, we act as if we can't see, because after all, what dignity do they have if, if we see the weakness? How about people in wheelchairs? We keep our eyes up at this level so we don't even see them. And if they're difficult to understand, certainly don't try to talk to them because then the weakness becomes evident. <laughs> what is weakness? What is weakness? How about the old? When I was young, I was largely oblivious to the youth-worshipping aspect of our culture. Now that I'm old, it's painfully clear to me. But I don't speak of it. And the reason is, I don't want people to think that my speaking of it is my self-justification. And so the conspiracy is absolutely damnably effective. Because when you're young, you're proud, and when you're old, you're embarrassed. And so nobody is ever called to respect their elders. Nobody is ever called to expect that their elders have wisdom that they haven't dreamed of. <laughs> and trust me, we have it. It's called life. Is old age weakness? Maybe another way of saying it is youthfulness, weakness. How about having lots of children? Is that weakness? How about not having a high school diploma? Is that weakness? How about being poor? How about shopping at Walmart instead of Marsh or Kroger? Is that weakness? How about wearing things that show certain parts of your body in Walmart that shouldn't be shown? How about not having a concept of modesty? Is that weakness? Now, here's the barb. Here's the hook. Please name for me any weakness that you have because you want to save the weak. Name me one. Now, I know you don't live in a double wide. And so that one's ruled out. None of us have lived in a double wide to save the double wides. And I know you don't have black teeth. All of us go to a dentist so that we will never be mistaken for 
And how many of you have the terminal degree but hide it? I mean, can you even imagine Christians hiding the fact that they have a terminal degree, especially Reformed Christians? <laughs> can you imagine a pastor who has a doctorate, and instead of calling himself Dr. Timothy Bailey, he calls himself Pastor Timothy Bailey. He still has an honorific. <laughs> it's inconceivable. Okay, so in what way do you follow the example of the Apostle Paul and make yourself weak for the salvation of some? Weak. Some of you have heard me preach multiple times on the woman at the well. And you know, the, the point I make, I make two points from that story that I think are so relevant to us today as Christians. There are only two points. The first point is that Jesus put himself under the ministry of the woman. He asked her for water. He made himself weak to the weak. He didn't commit adultery with her. That's where she was weak. He didn't join her in sin, but he asked her for water. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? I mean, think about it. That Jesus, who is living water, never thirsts again, went 40 days in the world, he asked her for a drink. Did Jesus need a drink? No. The second thing is that he then spoke to her about her sin and led her to grace through the law. Oh, finally someone who loves me. Everybody else avoids my weakness. <laughs> but Jesus embraced her weakness by saying, go call your husband. Do you know what homosexual men desire more than anything else? They desire someone to say, I understand that you think it's hopeless to live a life of purity. But in scripture it says, of such were some of you. And that means that in Christ we have freedom from the bondage of our lusts. Do you see that that is making ourselves weak for the sake of those who are weak? Do you understand that? And then we go on and describe to them how we as heterosexual constantly are battling the lust of the flesh in ourselves. We make ourselves weak for the sake of the weak. And all of a sudden, instead of being pariahs who are defined as the lepers of the church today, we say, I'm just like you. The only thing is, there's actually hope for me because I can get married so that I no longer burn. Whereas you, unless God changes your basic preferences, can never marry someone of the same sex and stop burning because God has said no to that. Can you hear how that's making ourselves weak for the sake of the weak? What do we do? 
we go around making it very clear that we're the definition of self-righteousness. We're just like the Pharisees. And everywhere we go, we are putative and condemnatory and censorious. And we're never weak because the whole point of being censorious is to show that you're superior to the person you're censoring. Holiness with us is never an unattainable commandment of God that we ourselves have absolutely despaired of meeting and then have come to the cross and now have been given back freedom in Christ and therefore you can have it too. But holiness is a certain way of thinking, a certain theological proposition, set of propositions. It's the way that we define our otherness. It's never for the sake of a few. It's never for the sake of saving anyone. It's so that we can continue to live in our little world that is tight and is safe, is secure, is homeschooled. Don't worry. My wife and I homeschooled, although Janet would tell you we never did. <laughs> Janet actually homeschooled through us, but then we wouldn't even do what she told us to do, so I can't claim to be a homeschooler. Mary Lee and I were so undisciplined. I'm sure, Therese, you're, you're great. Mary Lee and I, we weren't. Right, love? Yeah, yeah. How have we gotten to the point where to be a Christian means to never be weak? Huh? Hmm? Hmm? How have we gotten to that point? It should be absolutely always fresh in our minds, the pit from which God dug us. There should be no person in this church who is not keenly aware of being dug from the pit of his and her sin. We are not saved by baptism, and we are not saved by membership in a church. We are not saved by ceremonies and rituals. And we are not saved from a certain lack of knowledge of the decrees of God and the meaning of sovereignty and providence. We are saved from our depravity. Women are depraved. You women are wicked. You will do anything you can to get a leg up on another woman. That's why three of you can't exist together, and everybody knows this. Now, some of you who are visiting today are thinking, what on earth? Why is he going on about women? Well, it's because it's a recurring refrain of my preaching. I say, you know, I don't think women sin. I say that all the time. Because to a man's eyes, women look perfect. But I have it by good authority that it's not true. <laughs> now, if I were to go on a rant about men being perverted, everybody here would agree. Because right about now, every woman in America thinks that every man is Jerry Sandusky. We're not. You may trust your children with us. But men are perverse, depraved. Women are depraved, men are depraved. 
And every single one of us has the same autobiography spiritually, which is that God reaches down into the pit and grabs us and lifts us up and puts us on a high rock, and that rock is Christ. All right? Not one of us has escaped that if we're a Christian. Okay? And so here we are, and here everybody else is. Jews, those without law, those with law, male, female, Asian, Caucasian, everyone before Christ is in the pit of sin. And that sin is weakness. The pride of the art history professor, the utter The utter ideological bondage of the English literature professor. The high priests of science. The crystal meth manufacturer and addict out in Owen County. There is no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so if we're going to reach the crystal meth addict, what are we going to have to do? And you say, well, let's do some crystal meth. I say, not quite, but close. And you say, well, what does that mean? And I say, well, study it, figure it out. The Apostle Paul had to study it and figure it out. He had to figure out when he should go ahead and circumcise Timothy and and when he should say, Never, right? Here's the problem. The problem is that today, we hear the words, I have become all things to all people. And what we end up doing is we end up taking those places where we really don't fit in and twisting them so that we begin to fit in. And then we justify it saying, I have become all things to all people. All right. So, for instance, what we think is that since the only law today, my, stop a second, what was the only law at the time of Paul? Among Jews, the only law was what? It was circumcision, right? That was the law. That was the one thing that they yet had to do before they could be saved. Are you all with me? So the one law was circumcision. What is the one law today? The one law today is that we must get along with each other which is variously known as pluralism, diversity, inclusivity, or the absence of any law. The the one law today is the absence of any universal. The one law today is that every universal must die for the sake of your feelings. And so what we do is we say, well, Paul became all things for all people, and so I'm going to go along to get along. And so we take the one thing that is absolutely antithetical, is absolutely contradictory to everything that Scripture says. And we deceive people that that's actually what it means to be a Christian because actually the message of Jesus was one of love. And so somehow we take the Christian faith, which is perfectly designed to be the most fatal wound a man can ever receive, let alone a culture. And we make it into all things for all people by such that it ends up being that there is no right, no wrong, no out, no in, 
no black, no white, that everything is a function of how you feel about it, how I feel about it, and we go along to get along. And then we say that we're all things to all people. So we take the one law of our day, which matches the one law of circumcision in Paul's day. We take that law, and we make a big show of giving God being all things for all people. And we're hypersensitive to anybody that says anything negative about blacks. Oh, 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 oh. And we never, ever, ever throw paper out of our window. And we don't breastfeed while we drive. And we always wear our safety belts. And we don't smoke cigarettes. Now listen, some of you who aren't from this culture, it's going to be more difficult for you to understand what I'm saying, okay? But you have to translate it into your culture, all right? Every culture does these same things, every single one of us. We have the sins that the culture hates, and they're always little sins. And we're scrupulous in obeying those little laws that have replaced all the big laws. And then the big law, that there is no right and wrong, that there's just your feelings and mine and Facebook, where we talk about them. All right? And those laws were just absolutely, were pristine. Ho, ho! I am never offensive to anybody. No, I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> I get paid to be offensive. The cross is offensive. I get paid to be a stench to those who are perishing. It's a relief. Because it's what I do naturally. It's amazing how God calls people to things that he's gifted them for. I'm really good at stinking. Okay, now listen. I'm out of time, and I want to end with two things. Number one, I want to ask you, this week and the coming weeks, what weakness will you adopt to save some? What weakness? And if it's a weakness that makes you fit in better with our godless, wicked culture, try again. It doesn't qualify. If it's a weakness that caused people to think that you may be as hopeless as they are and that maybe they too can trust Jesus to save them from their sin, you're getting there. Okay? That's the first thing. And then I want you to notice one other thing. Do you remember what Jesus said to some who were secure? You remember that? Look at the end here. The end of verse 23 does a very interesting thing. So this is what we've been talking about. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, but notice the purpose. So that what? So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. What is he saying there? What is he saying? So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. You know, if I were doing my old habits, my old tricks, I would, I would read it this way. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I 
because I have become a fellow partaker of it. Do you see past tense? But it's not. It's future tense. So that I may become. If I made it past tense, we'd all feel fine with it. But it's not past tense, is it? It's future tense. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul is saying that his making himself weak for the sake of the gospel that some may be saved is the process of him being saved. <laughs> listen, 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 precious brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. Whatever doctrine you have that causes you to have no concern about the salvation of your soul, because you've been baptized, because you're a member of Clear Note Church, because you're white, because you're not white, because you've been circumcised, because you prayed the sinners. I don't care what ritual or ceremony you think you can look to. The Apostle Paul is not what? He's not looking back, is he? He's looking forward, and he's saying, so that I may. See this? So that I may become a fellow partaker of. And what this means is that you and I must understand that there really is something at stake with our obedience. It really is. And if there's one truth that's clear in the New Testament, it's that truth. Do you understand that? Do you remember what it says in Acts? It says, in the Lord... Remember this? And the Lord added to their number daily those, what? Who were being saved. And so, be weak. Conform yourself to the weakness of others so that you may lead them to salvation. Because this will be part of the process of you becoming a fellow partaker with them in salvation. Okay? All right? Don't you want to be saved? And Americans, fat beyond belief, sat there complacently and thought, that's an interesting question. Okay, I'll ask it again. You have a chance to redeem yourself. Don't you want to be saved? Yes. <sighs> and become weak. And in God's providence and grace and mercy, you too may become a fellow partaker of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we look at the Apostle Paul, and every single time we read him, we think what work you did and still today do through this man. We think of him having absolutely no self-preservation instinct. 
but rather a desire to die, to be stoned, to be shipwrecked, to be naked, to be starved, and, of course, to be despised, particularly by the super apostles within your church. Father, would you please take just an ounce of the spirit of the Apostle Paul and give it to me? Would you please show us where the weak are this week and help us to recognize them and to, I want to say lower ourselves, but actually to raise ourselves to their level, that your spirit might use us and that we too might become with them, fellow partakers of the gospel. Father, we are unfaithful sons, but we know that it is your will that we become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, and so we ask you to do that work this week, and that we will be extremely sensitive to the decisions and the choices, to the postures that we take and to their impact on the salvation of others and ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.